Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the 410th show of ROI, and our guest for today's show is Sarah Milhouse, associate editor of Big River Magazine, and we're going to talk about black settlers in Wisconsin's driftless area. The history buffs for today's show are Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Sapsapital, and our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. This is the opening segment of the show called Farouk Dinarin, and today we'll be talking about black settlers in Wisconsin's driftless area with Sarah Milhouse, associate editor of Big River Magazine. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming aboard. Can you start us with a little background on the driftless area in Wisconsin? Absolutely, yes. So, um, picture kind of the this is the, there's a lot of argument over where the exact boundaries are, um, especially since the driftless area has come to embody a regional identity as well as this actual geologic event. Um, so when the glaciers went around across a lot of North America, they they kind of split and they went around this little area in the upper Midwest, which includes basically look at the southwest corner of Wisconsin, and you've got the adjoining parts of northwest Illinois, a little bit of northeast Iowa, and a little bit of uh, southeastern Minnesota as well. Um, so that area is really hilly. Um, it's also along the Mississippi River, so you've got those beautiful bluffs there. But it's um, it's rugged and more rugged than maybe a lot of people think of the Midwest as being. And a lot of us from here are very proud of that. <laughs> and you should be. <laughs> Okay, so then the next obvious question is to talk about settlement. Um, talk to us a little bit about indigenous uh, peoples in the area, and then talk to us about um, the uh, the first sort of white settlers who move into the area, uh, and and then obviously we're leading up ultimately to uh, the first black settlers. Yeah, so um, obviously you know this area has been lived in by humans for a really long time, um, you know, thousands and thousands of years. Um, as we get kind of closer to the present day, um, you have a variety of groups kind of moving through the area. Um, many are displaced from further east, um, but there are also groups that have very long histories. Um, in Wisconsin and, you know, southwestern Wisconsin particularly. Um, the Ho-Chunks, who live in Wisconsin still, um, their origin story is, is here. Um, and they uh, were displaced, and many have come back. So um, that's, where, that's where the nation is now. Um, they're a major group, but there are also were a number of Native American groups as well that were the Meskwaki, the Sauk, um, the Miami were 
in the area pretty close to the time and before and after the time that first French and then um, American uh, quote unquote settlers were coming as well. Okay. Um, so I'll follow up a little bit then. Um, so how much, what kind of settling uh, do we have here? I assume the French were, were doing trapping and fur trading and things like that. Um, is that kind of the, this, the first organizational process was, was those kind of trading companies or was this settled more particularly by folks who were doing uh, small family farm kinds of things? Talk a little about that. We were, we were looking at fur being the first major resource that was drawing Euro-Americans to this area. Um, and the other big resource was lead. Um, so I'm from Galena, Illinois, which is right across the border. And that was really kind of the, the gateway to what became known as the lead district. Um, in the first part of the 1800s, it was a huge mineral boom. Um, thousands and thousands of people came to that area because they wanted to get rich mining lead. And um, in doing so, they displaced, you know, many of the native peoples that have been mining that resource and trading in it previously. Uh, Sarah, the, um, uh, the land was not really good for, I've driven through the Driftless area and it's, it's a gorgeous uh, topography. Uh, and then there are farms there, but that it doesn't seem to have had a, a major farming influence until much later. Am I wrong in my assessment? No. It, you know, that farming wasn't the most valuable resource that could be extracted from the land in the 1600s or the 1700s or, you know, the first half, three quarters of the 1800s either. Um you know, as we move on in the 1800s, um, that became more and more valuable um, as a usage of the land for people. Um, but e even today, um, if you've a lot of farms in the area are dairy farms because you can you can pasture the you know the the hills are still rough and rocky, and it isn't as amenable to row crops. Though you still see plenty of corn and soybeans too. Okay, uh, Sarah. So, talk to us a little bit about these European settlers. Um, is the settlement our settlements sort of dominated by particular ethnic groups? Um, we tend to think of of folks uh, further west in Minnesota as being heavily Scandinavian, for example. Um, I had uh, lots of. Uh, friends that my father worked with um, in northeast Iowa who were of German descent. Um, what So what ethnic groups are, are involved in settling this area? The, the shorter answer is yes. Um, you, you hit on um, some of the main ones there. Um, when you look at groups that were involved in mining, there were there were Cornish and English and Scottish. Um, there are there are people who 
you know, trace their ancestry back to French people um, in the area as well. But um, once you get a little bit later into the 1800s, um, the main European immigrant groups were much more similar to what you were talking about, you know, um, German, Scandinavian, um, including, you know, Irish and uh, Scottish and English as well. Sarah, when did uh, the uh, African Americans show up into the Driftless area? Well, uh, some of them uh, were living here as long as the French French traders were here. Basically, um, there have been there have been enslaved African Americans since you know more or less the beginning of heavy fur trade activity and the start of the uh, lead mine boom. Um, but the people I was talking about in the article really came here to farm. Um, and they came here in the 1850s. Um, some were escaped slaves. Some were slaves that had managed to buy their freedom. Uh, some, some were born free and found their way to this area. Um, some came as lead miners or indentured servants. Um, Really, there was sort of a whole spectrum um, from slavery and bondage to freedom that people were escaping or getting away from um, and looking for a way to make a new life. Okay, so then talk to us a little bit about those those lives. Um, obviously, we have a number of different economic activities going on. Um, do we have... Uh, settlements that are predominantly um, African-American? Do we have um, small percentages in in a number of, in lots and lots of towns spread through the area? Um, give us a sense of what that demographic kind of looked like. So for the most part, um, what, we're, what we're looking at um, in terms of kind of communities, um, there were several communities that were black or very multiracial. Um, and besides that, there also were African Americans who were who were living in communities elsewhere in southwest Wisconsin or the adjoining Driftless area. Um, in Galena, there was there was a thriving um, African American population. Um, through much of the 1800s. Um, the two farming communities that I um, especially uh, focused on have, one of them was in rural Grant County, um, it's the B-Town area, um, and the other was a little bit further north in Vernon County called Cheyenne Valley. And while Pleasant Ridge, the one in Grant County, um, was primarily African-American, Cheyenne Valley was really a hodgepodge. Um, and you can see in census records how even individuals' racial identities changed or were assigned differently over time. Okay. We have a lot more to talk about. So please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. 
the KALA website is your one-stop spot to find out more about your favorite radio station. Submit a public service announcement, catch up on news about KALA, and listening to any of our three stations, 885-1061 or The Stinger, is just a click away. Visit KALAFM.org. That's KALAFM.org. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of our show, referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Sarah Milhouse, associate editor of The Big River Magazine, and we're talking about black settlers in Wisconsin's driftless area. Our history buffs for today's show are Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. And Ed, why don't you start us off? Thanks, Jay. Um, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about... Uh, you've mentioned the three villages, um, but can you tell us a little more maybe about um, why blacks wound up in this particular place? And I guess what I'm getting at is that since it's, I've been through there and it is not conducive to farming, um, did they wind up, did some of the blacks wind up there because if they had money to buy land, this was the cheapest land? You know, I don't think that was likely the case. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure we can say for for certain. But um, most of the uh, people who ended up in the Pleasant Ridge community, uh, they ended up there. Well, the founding members ended up there because they came with the people who were their former enslavers, um, who came in the in the lead boom. Um, they came looking for lead. Um, and the African-Americans who came with them, um, Charles and Isaac Shepard, they worked for their former enslavers for a couple years. Um, and then they were able to purchase this land. Um, they purchased wisely. Um, they had pretty productive land in the area and grew to be quite prosperous. And in the in Cheyenne Valley, the the northern community, you know, I'm not entirely sure kind of what brought them to that area specifically. I think there was there was available land at that time. Um, there was also a very profitable uh, ginseng crop in Wisconsin at the time. So it ended up being very profitable for ginseng there as well. Um, and so that might have been part of what made the land attractive to them. Okay, Terry. Yeah, Sarah, you mentioned that um, Pleasant Ridge uh, Black Settlement um, in Grant County uh, was around 1870. I had read that all that remains of the community today is the Pleasant Ridge Cemetery. Is there any organization that is maintaining or preserving uh, that cemetery? You know, I'm I'm actually not sure about the the current status of who um, who maintains the cemetery, um, but the Grant County Historical Society has a lot of 
information and, you know, what we would say artifacts. Um, but, but there's goods that were household goods of folks who lived at Pleasant Ridge. Um, there are tons and tons of family photos. Um, and, and a lot of that is because one of, one of the last remaining residents there, um, Olive Green Lewis, was very involved in that organization. So she, she donated a lot of family items and heirlooms to them. And, you know, we have a really good record of, relatively speaking, of what, what these people's lives were like. Okay. Rick. Sarah, uh, you made, made a comment uh, in the first uh, segment about the, the uh, African Americans coming with their slavers, and I don't think most people realize that uh, holding a slave was uh, uh, something that was fairly common in the 19th century in the upper Midwest. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Uh, uh, how prevalent were uh, slaves and masters in this driftless area. Yeah. Um, so it was technically illegal to own slaves. Um, that was the that was under the Northwest Ordinance. But there were there were some complicated loopholes associated with being French, and there were plenty of people who who just ignored that. Um, many of the the people who ended up being really prominent in territorial and early statehood politics. Um, you know, some of the obvious folks, um, for those who are more into the local history of that area, are um, Roundtree, who was basically the founder of Platteville, um, uh, Jones, who became a uh, senator from Iowa um, in the Cincinnati area, and um, Governor Dodge, who was Wisconsin's first governor, too. They were all slaveholders. Um, and in addition to that, you had a lot of you had a lot more people who who also kept kept indentures. Um, oftentimes, those were children who were who were bound for years. Um, sometimes, people who were indentured for more than the course of their natural lifetime. So e- even if it went by another name, it was slavery. Sure. Um, so that then leads to an interesting sort of follow-up question, which is as time goes by and these, and we reach the, uh, the sort of latter f- quarter of the 19th century, um, how were these uh, settlements how did they interact with the communities around them? Was was there a, a fair amount of acceptance? Was there tension or problems? Um, you know, how did they sort of integrate, I guess, into late 1800s uh, community in in that uh, in that area? Yeah. So um, both of these communities started really in the 1850s. Um, and then after the Civil War and through, you know, what we think of as being Reconstruction in the South, um, there, there were certainly tensions sometimes, but a lot of times the stories that get passed down to us um, are ones of 
integration and relative harmony. Um, you know, there's there's some tension between historians about you know how how harmonious everything was. Um, but in both of those communities, there were integrated schools. Um, in Cheyenne Valley, there were several integrated schools. There were integrated churches and baseball teams um, and cemeteries. And the people who lived there were white and African-American and Native American and combinations thereof. Um, and even today, there's a, a group of, it's called the Cheyenne Settlers Heritage Society, which whose, many of whose members trace themselves back to this multiracial society of Cheyenne Valley. Um, even, even today, their stories are largely of how well people got along within the valley and within their own community. Okay, Ed. Yeah, um, to follow up, Sarah, how do you explain that, um, that these these communities were integrated and um, relatively harmonious? This couldn't have happened just any place. Well, a lot of, you know, when I've, when I've spoken to folks about Cheyenne Valley, Often their stories are about kind of being being in this being in these coolies, being in these deep valleys where you're relatively isolated and you all depend upon one another. Um, like small communities anywhere, you depend upon your neighbors. Um, and they talked about that being a very integrated integrative force. Um, at the same time, I think we. We don't want to try to pretend that everything was perfect and rosy either. <laughs> um, and certainly when when you look at Pleasant Ridge's history, a lot of folks, you know, there were a few, for example, interracial marriages between people who were white and black, but there weren't a heck of a lot. So what you see eventually as time goes on is members of that community largely got an education, got out, and they went somewhere else to make their livelihood um, because they didn't see that that community was large enough to give them a sustainable life where they would find a partner who was interested and, and raise a family. Sure. Terry. Yeah, Sarah, I had read that... Um in 1849, there actually was the first referendum for black male suffrage in that area. Can you, t well, so prior to the Civil War, can you talk about a little bit about the timeline for black male suffrage? So in Wisconsin, um, you know, I haven't researched a lot of that in depth, but that was definitely part of sort of the, the milieu of how these settlers were interacting with their neighbors. Um, there's some suggestion that maybe part of the reason that these areas were attractive were because there were um, abolitionists or um, 
abolition-friendly neighbors in the area. Um, but certainly, certainly that wasn't something that was uh, a, a, a giant step forward that they kept everything rolling on towards justice forever and ever either. <laughs> okay, Rick. Okay, Sarah. Uh, in the uh, 1920s, the Ku Klux Klan reared its ugly head and became a major political force in American politics. Um, and uh, since I, w- I spend a lot of time in Iowa, I know we have the stain of the Ku Klux Klan in our history uh, Wisconsin likewise had uh, clans. Uh, did it impact the, these uh, settlements in the Driftless area? You know, where we, where we know of some interactions there were um, in the Cheyenne Valley area. Um, so that's in Vernon County. Um, the county seat is Viroqua. Um, and the mayor of Viroqua and Many pretty prominent um, folks in Viroqua were members of the KKK in the 1920s. Um, a historian in the 1960s um, interviewed some of those folks, and you know the the former members suggested at that time that they that they really didn't have a great sense of of how prejudicial this organization was you know they they just sort of thought they were you know joining another civic organization was it political Um, expediency then well you know in memory yes (laughs) (laughs) um uh but it looks like the the largest um target of of their um cross burnings largely were Catholics. Um, but there is one instance that we know of um, where there was a cross burning on a black family's lawn or um, yard land. Um, and the story that's come down about that was that the KKK were basically told, you know, get off or you know next time you might face violence here um and they did they they went back to easier targets um whether there were other um interactions between um black members of the community and the kkk at that time i'm not sure but it certainly would have been in people's minds and that was that was also after world war one which a lot of folks in the Cheyenne Valley area look at as sort of this this watershed moment where people from inside the community in some cases went into the army and they were really treated uh, to the experience of segregation that many American uh, blacks had at that time. Um, for some, for the first time. Um, uh, Wilbur Arms, who is one of the descendants of the Cheyenne Valley uh, community, said that that sort of experience of segregation sowed seeds of 
disharmony back home too when people came home um people experienced segregation discrimination elsewhere and started looking at their neighbors differently all right when we come back we're going to wrap things up so please stay tuned this is roi on kala st ambrose university 106.1 fm you're listening to relevant or irrelevant This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 410th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet, and the theme song for our show is titled Kayla Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zap Zapital. My name is Rick Sweet. And my name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Sarah Milhouse, associate editor of the Big River Magazine. And we've been talking about black settlers in Wisconsin's Driftless area. The history buffs for today's show were Ed Broders and Terry Toppler. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotza Pula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.